to the Triage Method Podcast Q&A edition. This is a shorter podcast of the week in which we essentially just answer a question, give you what you need to know, no BS, 20 to 30 minutes out the gap. So Paddy, what's the question this week? Well, that's the hope, Gary. This is supposed to be the shorter episode. That doesn't mean that it ever is. However, I do hopefully think that today's episode is going to be a little bit shorter than an hour at least. <laughs> um, but yeah, so today's question is, <clears throat> should I wear a belt? So last week, the question was, should I wear wrist wraps, knee sleeves or elbow sleeves? And we went into quite a bit of depth with all of those. And we did touch on this, like, should I wear a belt? Because that was a separate question, but obviously it's part of that whole training equipment question. Like, what should you get, right? And there's there's pros and cons to a belt. There is people that are all for it and then people that are all against it. There are also different types of belts. So that obviously muddies the water. However, in today's episode, I just want you to be able to walk away from it and go, okay, there's some sort of checklist type thing. Be like, yeah, I fall into that category. So maybe a belt will be good for me. Or yeah, I don't really care about that. So maybe belt is not for me. Right. So, but to do this, first of all, we need to discuss what does a belt actually do? Because there's some misconceptions around this, right? So I'm going to pose that question to you, Gary, what does a belt actually do? Like, why is it going to help me potentially with my, my overall lifting and, you know, maybe on what exercises is it more likely to help me or why? Uh, and is it going to prevent injury? Those two questions, Gary. Why does the belt work? Well, I suppose three questions. Why does the belt work? What exercises is it going to work on? And like, is it going to help my curls because or my calf raises? Because that's really all that matters. Um, and is it going to prevent injury? Go. Righty. So <clears throat> when I first got into lifting, I used to... Wait, wait, wait. Hold up. You lift? Hey, believe it or not, <laughs> when I first started going to the gym... I remember the, the belts that were really popular at the time were like those belts that are like thin at the front and then they're thick at the back and they've got this like supporting pad that goes to your back. And the explanation I was given was that, you know, oh, they're, it's to support your back. That's why it's wider at the back. And it's got, you know, this pad to support your back and keep it safe and prevent injury. And I think that's probably most people's understanding. It's like I wear it to support my back and it's going to stop me from getting injured. However, like the purpose of a belt is actually technically more so related to the front and the sides of your abdomen than it is really the back because essentially what it is serving to do is the belt obviously wraps around that that mid, that midsection if you think of your abdomen right your your abdominal cavity is essentially a somewhat fixed cavity in that it's got borders at each side so at the back you know you've got the the back of that abdominal cavity, uh, muscles, fascia, etc., and you've got the spine then behind that. At the front, you've got your abdominal muscles. So you've got your transverse abdominis, you've got rectus abdominis, and then at the sides, you've got your your oblique muscles. Mm-hmm. So you've got all these different these different sides to it. Um, so we can see that all right, we've got these restraints at the front, at the sides, at the back. There's things that are stopping movement um, or, or can help to stop movement. But also at the top and the bottom, at the top, we've got the diaphragm. And at the bottom, we've got the pelvic floor or the pelvic diaphragm. So at every end, we've got some sort of barrier that essentially creates this cylinder. Okay, so you've got this cylinder within your abdominal cavity. Obviously, all your organs are in there, <laughs> I hope. 
Um, and essentially what can happen is if you build up pressure within your, within your abdominal cavity, and you've got increased intra-abdominal pressure, it's referred to as, that can be translated to an extensor moment. And what I mean by an extensor moment is a force that is pushing your spine into extension or like what people are generally concerned with, like stopping you from moving into flexion. So if you're doing some sort of deadlift exercise or squat exercise, what you don't want is for your back to be moving during the lift loads and you kind of losing force or leaning forward or whatever. You want to be able to keep things as rigid as possible because that enables you to effectively um, transmit force uh, through your body, whether it's a squat, a deadlift or whatever it might be. So where the belt comes in then is that theoretically it can help you to increase your intra-abdominal pressure and to increase that extensor moment and help you to resist flexion um, in any of those sorts of exercises. So by providing that barrier around the abdominals and around the obliques, it can help to increase intra-abdominal pressure. Um, the measurement, like the last time I dug into the dug into this was about two years ago and from what i can see like the way that we measure intra-abdominal pressure is like might be potentially flawed i think there was some potential flaws there so i think the exact mechanisms and the exact like how much a belt is actually going to help you it's difficult to quantify but in some of the research that is that is there you know trying to get an idea of how much it helps in an outcome-based sense in terms of like how much does it actually help your lifting it does seem like there's some sort of benefit there, okay? So I, I look at a belt as being a tool that can potentially improve your performance, but I don't, I don't view it with the same perspective that some do in terms of it preventing injury. Like, I'm not really sure about that. I don't, there's, there's not really, we don't have like longitudinal studies, like prospective core studies that take people who lift with belts and lift without belts over years and, and like quantify their rates of injury. So couldn't say that with any degree of certainty. Um, but I think the performance benefit or potential benefit is what people are probably most concerned with. So, so that's our starting point. We can go into more detail, but do you have anything to, to add or retract there? No. So basically what you're saying is it's a proprioceptive tool to help you brace better perhaps, uh, or increase your, ability to brace you know maybe you know how to brace and you're quite effective at it but because you have this extra we'll call it a muscle you know wrapping around you're able to brace a little bit better like you're able to get an increased brace because you have something like a, a corset type thing braced around like you have something to push against effectively you know like it, like anything if you have something to push against you have something to transmit force into you're going to be able to push yourself a little bit harder into that, you know, like it's just, it's just the way the world works. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, I don't have much to add to that. Um, but I suppose that does actually give us our first kind of checklist checkpoint thing for people to start deciding whether about this for them or not. Like, do you know how to brace? Because if you don't know how to brace, then a belt isn't exactly going to help you, you know, because you're already missing out on the thing that the belt is going to increase, you know, like you're not, you're not bracing, you know? So if your abdominal wall caves in collapses or, you know, you, you're, you're basically your abdomen is all over the place while you're squatting, bench pressing, overhead pressing, whatever, you're not bracing, 
then a belt isn't going to help you at all. Now, you may use a belt, some people might suggest this, to learn to brace, but in my mind, I'm like, that's kind of putting the, the cart before the horse because you've never learned to brace without a belt, you know? And that kind of comes into effect on later discussions. Like, you have to be specific in what you're trying to train. And like, we have talked about this before, about like sports specificity, and it's, it's not exactly a great thing, a great ideology, but you do want to somewhat, you know, train as you compete. So that, or at least be able to transfer what you train into what you compete, you know? Um, so if you can only brace, you've only ever learned to brace with a belt, I would see that as a bad thing if you then tried to or wanted to brace without a belt and you've never actually trained that you don't have the ability, right? And this, this may also inform the discussion around later on what we're gonna discuss about, like if you notice that you lose a huge amount of strength if you take your belt off, like say you're squatting like 250 kilos with your belt on, and then you take your belt off and you can barely even get to 200, then in my mind, I would see that as a, a negative. Like you've you effectively crippled yourself. You know, you've, you've introduced a tool and now you're reliant on that tool to actually be able to express somewhere near your strength. Now, I'm not talking about you have your belt on and you get an extra 20 kilos on your whatever. Like you're able to do 230 without the belt and you're able to do 250 with the belt. I'm like, that, in my mind, I'm like, that's, that's fair enough. Like you're getting an extra 10% or so improvement. That's nothing huge. Like, yeah, obviously that is huge in terms of, you know, your performance increase, but there's not such a huge discrepancy that I would be overly worried about, you know? But if there is a huge discrepancy, like you're knocking off like 20, 30% off your lifts as soon as you take the belt off, I, I would see that as a negative. But anyway, do go on, Gary. Yeah, so that then, I guess, like, it begs the question of like, all right, so should I use one? When should I use one? What's it going to be beneficial for? And we kind of somewhat alluded to that already. So typically, you're going to be wanting to use a belt during an exercise where you have to effectively transmit force from your lower body to your upper body. That's typically kind of how it works. Um, or, or like, even more so than that, you're trying to resist spinal extension and trying to maintain the most or spinal flexion rather um, you're trying to maintain a really rigid torso and those exercises tend to be squat variations deadlift variations potentially overhead press variations um, and like i don't use it for an overhead press but i know some people do and, and and you know seem to get a benefit from it and like some people use them for bench press but i never have and i can't really like, I don't think the benefit is going to be huge, but I mean, if it reduces your perception of fatigue during the lift and allows you to do more reps and more sets, by all means, try it. But I wouldn't include it. I think people use it on the bench press because it is a really good proprioceptive tool because what you see a lot of people do on the bench press is not maintain a brace throughout the whole lift. Like they don't brace while doing the eccentric portion. And then while the bar is on their their chest or whatever they then try to brace or transmit force through the legs because they are your legs are involved in it if you're doing like a powerlifting bench um so it effectively reminds you to keep yourself braced throughout the entire lift you know so again it is a, a true proprioceptive tool it's not 
necessarily that it increases performance, it's that it keeps you in the right position. Or at least that's what I see people using it for, or it appears. Again, you might notice that you do get some performance increase because again, like you are transmitting force through the legs, through the through the hips, through the core by you know pressing your feet into the ground on your bench press. You are using some leg drive on your bench press. But again, like the, the point of contact is basically the shoulders on the bench press so you know the magnitude is probably going to be reduced yeah like i think the magnitude of effect is likely to be smaller but again like as you said if it helps you like if it if you know that it helps you to brace better then by all means do it like there's there's very little downside there so by all means give it a shot but those squat and those deadlift variations probably the ones where they're likely to help the most overhead press potentially um and then bench press like uh, maybe not so sure um generally like for things like rowing variations and stuff like that like yeah you could say there might be a benefit but to be honest if you're being honest with yourself your bent over barbell roll is going to be a fairly low percentage of what you normally deadlift so maintaining that position shouldn't be that challenging you know but i mean again it's person specific if it helps you i mean i don't have anything against you doing it um what i what i would be somewhat against is the, you know people who wear their belts for like every single exercise like i think it's the idea that it's going to keep your waist smaller and um, that's that's one of the things that people in the physique sphere will wear belts for and like i wouldn't consider that a valid justification for it i think that's unlikely to be helpful to be honest i think if you're worried about your waist size primarily genetics you know like you you might be able to do some things to help it um but getting leaner is almost always the best option so i, I wouldn't spend too much time too much time touching on that the main one is the performance benefit so I guess like what you said there was, you know, you might consider something like a 10% or slightly less than 10% performance increase to be normal. But what I probably wouldn't want is someone being so dependent on their belt, like much like our discussion last week in relation to all the other equipment that they can't do any sets without their belt. You know, they can't do any training without their belt. Like if you're putting 60 kilos in the bar for your warm up and your, your one rep max on the deadlift is 180 and you are putting your belt on right away. Like I, I just, I just, I just don't think that's a good relationship to have with your lifting tools. I think they should be reserved for when you really need them and that you should be at least be able to train without them. Um, there's somewhat of there, like some of that is just my opinion and probably the way I look at the world and you can disagree with that. But some of it is also because if you are, if you're not always going to have that equipment with you, then you don't want it to be the case that you can only train when you have it. You know, if you're going on holidays and you don't want to bring your belt, like you don't want to just be totally afraid to do any sort of squats or deadlifts because you don't have your equipment with you. I don't think that's a good way of going about things. Um, as you said as well, it could be the case that you might be prepared for other lifting tasks in everyday life maybe if, you, if you're only ever lifted with a belt. And obviously that's an extreme example. There's not many people that are lifting washing machines every day but have only ever uh, deadlifted with a belt. Um, but, you know, it's at least worth thinking about. So if I was going to use a belt, I'd use it primarily for the squatter deadlift variations. I'd use it when I get close to the weights that I'm going to be working with. You know, like personally, I, I do, for most of my deadlift training, I actually don't really wear a belt, to be honest. Um, it does help me a little bit, but I find it helps me more on squat variations than it does on deadlift variations. So I'm less concerned with that. And if you hear me speak like that, then you should be thinking to yourself, okay, like what does a belt help me with? Um, what, what exercises might I benefit most from using a belt on? And then you start to 
to put those decisions um, together to make some decisions for yourself. And also, the benefit that you get from a belt is going to depend on your ability to use it. Um, you know, bracing on your own and bracing with a belt can feel somewhat different. Um, and it's, it's about getting used to, right, how tight do I need the belt to be? Um, how am I going to take my breath and breathe and brace? Because personally, like at this point, I could wear a belt and like it, it feels subconscious. Like if I'm bracing against a belt, I don't have to think about it anymore. Um, whereas some people, the second they put on a belt, they feel like they're gasping for air because it's challenging their breathing and they're like, I don't know how to brace. And I remember that when I first started using one. So, so you, you have to go through that learning process. So initially, it might be the case that you put on a belt, makes no difference. But it could be the case that six to 12 weeks, actually getting 10 kilos extra. And that might be worth it for you if you take your strength or your hypertrophy training really seriously. Because from a strength perspective, very clearly more weight on the bar is useful. <laughs> from a hypertrophy perspective, if you get more reps of squats at a particular weight um, with a belt versus without it, then you're accumulating more, more training volume for those lower body muscles um, without having, like it's not the case that it's actually making it easier on those muscles either. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, that would be the, the justification, I guess. Do you have anything to, to throw in there? Well, ju just on that as well, like there is a, uh, <clears throat> a thought process and well, we'll get onto another one in a second, but there's a thought process that, you know, wearing a belt may reduce, like this is directly what you're saying here, may reduce your, we'll say muscle activation in the muscles of the, the low back and stuff. Like you'll see there's a lot of a, a portion like the, the kind of physique, the bodybuilding world to people be like, oh, beltless pulling. Like they always do their deadlifts or whatever beltless because they want to build up the musculature of the, the low back or whatever. So do you think that using a belt could potentially negatively impact those muscles because you're effectively taking them out of the equation, you know, by using the belt. Now, obviously that's not true, but even if that were the case, do you think it's offset by the potential benefit you would see from muscle activation elsewhere that has to, you know, you're, you're able to increase, for example, like you're saying, you might be able to increase your, your squat a little bit more when you're wearing a belt, you know, and that might re result in bigger glutes, bigger hamstrings, bigger quads, whatever. And like, is it offset even if there is an effect at all? Yeah, like I think it's somewhat unlikely that you're going to notice a meaningful difference in like your back extensor development because you wore a belt. I mean, I, like obviously this isn't perfect evidence, but like if you're if you're thinking about that from a physique perspective, like just look at the, the spinal extensors of most of the best powerlifters in the world or any, any, you know, strong powerlifter, they all wear belts all the time. They all, all got ruthless spinal extensors. So, I mean, that's clearly not a very scientific reasoning, but it gives you some insight into the fact that, all right, it's not like this is just switching those muscles off. Like clearly not. Um, and obviously people know that Do, like, is it going to make a massive difference if you take the belt off to like your hypertrophy outcomes in those muscles? Like I doubt it because essentially what you're doing is, you're not necessarily, you're not, you're not inhibiting your spinal extensors. You're basically bringing your abdominal muscles in a 3D perspective up to scratch. You're helping your ability to use those muscles. So you're helping your ability to support the trunk overall. And I guess if you were using that logic that that is bad for the back extensors, then you also have to consider that, 
okay, that might be the case, but if your performance or your total reps you were doing is actually going to be less if you're not using the belt, then there's a trade-off there between right, the, the additional reps and the additional performance that you're getting um, versus the change in potentially muscle excitation or activation, um, relatively speaking, between different muscles. So I think, I think it's like, that's an interesting question to pose and be like, oh yeah, that's a, that's a good one for researchers to try and answer like the different muscle activation pattern, so to speak, between these different exercises. But I just don't think it matters for your actual outcomes. I mean, I recall reading a, a paper, I can't remember when it came out, but it was, it was about differences in hamstring, um, hamstring excitation um, with a belt versus not wearing a belt. Um, and like I'm all, I, I can't remember the exact context of the study and I, I don't like to rely too much on EMG evidence to say, oh, do this exercise. But what that said to me was like, oh yeah, that's interesting. Could be something to that, but it's not going to change anything I do in practice. You know, and that's, that's the case with a lot of studies. Like I would always like caution people not to get too excited when you see studies like being like, oh, there was an increase in muscle activation with this condition. Because, like you're measuring, you're measuring something neurological that, you know, it, it, the conditions aren't always perfect in a lot of sports science studies when EMG is applied. And there's also like not solid evidence to show us what that means in the long term in terms of adaptation. So if someone is thinking about that, you know, that a belt is going to sh like stop them from growing their lower back muscles. Like I, I doubt that's relevant. I, I doubt it. Like, I don't know. It might be relevant to what degree, not sure, but I, d I don't think it's something I would consider anyway. What do you think? But then it begs the question, the next logical question would be, um, and it kind of goes converse to what some people think. If we are then increasing the activation of, you know, we'll say your other abdominal muscles, you know, your, transverse abdominis, your obliques, whatever the fuck, if we're getting an increased activation by using the belt with those, is it likely to make your waist thicker? <laughs> well, the, 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 yeah, the logic, the, the logic that people normally have is that uh, beltless training, yeah, beltless training makes your waist thicker. That's right, isn't it? That's what people normally say. <laughs> it's funny, I feel like we're trying to argue points that we don't even, positions that we don't even hold. <laughs> but um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure, to be honest. I don't know. Because um, I would argue that like a belt, using a belt, like if we're going to argue that the benefit of it is that it increases the activation of the muscles that allow you to brace, then effectively those muscles are going to get more tension on them because that's, that's what we're doing here by using this belt. You know, we're activating them, whatever you want to call it. And therefore, there's going to be more tension on those muscles and that's how you drive hypertrophy, you know? So in my mind, I'm like, you could make a very logical conclusion from that and say that it's likely to increase your, your abdominal thickness. But like you're saying there, how much? Like that stuff is also very largely genetic. So like, is it likely to lead to a meaningful increase? You know, like, are you even going to notice like a, a centimeter extra abdominal growth? Like that might actually be beneficial. It might make your abs a little bit thicker and they, they pop more, you know, it's like, like, I don't know. Yeah, that would be a, that would be an, I don't know question. So like when it comes to like the, the specific effects of, of belts on like this muscle activation versus this muscle activation and what that means for outcomes, like I'm pretty comfortable saying, don't know, not sure, but I think the, consideration like that those considerations probably not too important for, for for most of our listenership 
I agree. I also think that ultimately it doesn't matter. You know, like people that are using belts or are getting an effect from belts, like I don't think they really care if their their abs get an extra millimeter of growth from this, you know? <laughs> like I don't think I don't think it matters overall. So do you have anything else to add just to that? No, I think I think that's solid. Like I think people understand like right, there's there's probably something to the belt potentially helping. Um, but now it's about I guess getting practical. Yeah. So practically speaking, let's go through a few different populations because I think that's the easiest way to cover a lot of ground. Right. So we have this person that previously injured their back and they want to get back into lifting. You know, maybe they, maybe they injured their back lifting, maybe they injured it outside. Are you going to say yay or nay to the belt? And what are the, the caveats? They, they want to get back in deadlifting, overhead pressing, squatting, whatever else, but they have that little bit of a fear for the lower back belt, yay or nay? Yeah, so like I think people could probably guess my answer to this from listening to the rest of our podcast, but my big, my, my big consideration here is that you want to help the person and you want to help them to train without pain, but you don't want them to get dependent on it, okay? So there's a risk here um, that... Someone could come into the gym, you teach them how to use a belt, and suddenly they're like, oh my God, my back feels great, I'm actually able to do this. And they go away with the association that, right, had back pain, used a belt, fixed my back pain, feeling good, and then they're dependent on the belt over time. So if I was going to, if I was going to introduce a belt for someone like that, I'd be saying, look, this, kind of, this helps with performance. You might feel that it changes the way you know, your back muscles work. It mightn't feel... And, you know, you mightn't feel them working as much. It, it, that depends. I probably wouldn't give them that premise. Um, but I'd want them to understand that this was a kind of a performance-based thing that I wasn't just saying like, this is here to protect your back or fix your back or whatever, because I think that can be potentially harmful. And like, that's the difficult thing with coaching in general, I think, is that you're, you actually have to weigh up like the, the trade-offs, the pros and cons of the way that you communicate things as opposed to just the intervention itself, which can be difficult. And that's something we've talked about before in terms of like your coaching footprint, because as a coach, you could help someone by showing them to you how to use a belt and, you know, it helps their performance and their lifting and it's all great. But there's a certain coaching footprint that is left behind there by you telling the person that maybe they needed, like, for example, one narrative you could have said to them was, you need to wear this belt because it's going to stop you from bending your back. And if you bend your back, that's going to lead to, herniation of the disc and degeneration of your discs and, and back pain. Um, and like the, the end does not justify the means in that case, like from my perspective, because yeah, while you did get to a point where the person was performing a bit better and maybe their pain had reduced, you did that via a narrative that could potentially lead to problems for them in the future. Okay. So, so they're the types of things I'd be thinking about there. But should that person wear a belt? It's certainly not contraindicated. I wouldn't say no. I wouldn't say yes. But again, it would come. it's probably going to come back to whether or not they're in one of the categories that we're going to talk about. Because if someone comes in to me with back pain, is that enough of a reason for me to think they need to use a belt? Like, no, not at all. Like, that's not a, that's not a reason that I get people to use belts. I get people to use belts because I think it's, it, there might be performance benefit. So if they want to avail of a performance benefit, um, then yeah, absolutely. Let's get after it. If they come in and say, oh, I need to start using a belt because uh, I hurt my back and I wasn't wearing a belt, then there'd be some education involved in terms of saying that, oh, look, it probably wasn't because you weren't using a belt and you probably don't need to be dependent on that. 
And then we try and get some graded exposure going by, all right, let's do a goblet squat. Let's do a front squat. Let's do some light back squats and so on. Cool. Right. I think that answers it. I have nothing else to add to that. Again, like don't make someone fearful or dependent and you're pretty good to go as a, a trainer. And if you are an individual training yourself, don't make yourself fearful or dependent and you're pretty good to go. Um, so next one, a powerlifter. Someone that, a strength athlete, even a strong man, whatever the fuck, right? Their, their lifting is based on the premise that they need to lift the maximal amount of weight. Now, obviously, that's not the premise of strongman, but obviously, it applies to a large degree. Belt, yay or nay? Yeah, I see entirely no reason not to use a belt if you're one of those athletes, if it helps you. Um, as we kind of alluded to earlier, there might be, you know, rationale for doing beltless training every now and then. Like, if it does, if it does challenge the muscles differently and it maybe puts more of a challenge in your ability to brace because you don't have that additional help, maybe that might be helpful at times. But for, for the most part, if, if, there is, if you have good reason to believe that something's going to improve your performance and it is legal within your sport, there is no reason not to use it. It's pretty simple. Yeah, I 100% agree. I do think on top of that, you probably should do some time not training with the belt, like we alluded to earlier on. Like again, I don't think you should be dependent on the belt. Like you still should be able to train without it. If for nothing else, except for the ability to train in other places, at other environments where you may not have access to your favorite Inzer or SBD or whatever belt, you know, like you're on holidays in fucking Thailand in the back arse of fucking nowhere. You stumble across the gym and you're like, yeah, I actually wouldn't mind getting a cheeky workout in like if if that means that you now are only able to use like 50% of what you know you're able to do like that's that's not a great way to be able to train whereas if you're like oh, I can actually train effectively without my belt that's probably a good thing you're able to travel you're able to go to different gyms you're able to still train effectively in different environments yeah okay cool you've knocked off 10% off your your top end not a big deal in my mind but if you are knocking off like 20 30 50% that's probably a big deal, in my mind at least. Anything to add to that? Nope, I think that's fair. Fantastic. So <clears throat> next one then is <clears throat> your gen pop. Someone, you know, fucking Mary down the street, John up the road, they just want to look, feel, perform better, enjoy better health, lose a bit of body fat, get generally stronger for everyday life. Belt, yeah or nay? maybe <laughs> so when it, when i see most kind of gen pop people in the gym using a belt the vast majority of people use it wrong as in like most people will kind of just pick up one of the crappy little belts from the side of the gym and they just put it on and they squat as they normally would like they're not they don't really brace they just kind of put it on it's not even tight they don't really get the benefit from it and um, so i'm not sure how much traction the idea of using a belt has in kind of the general population um because like most people don't seem to use it properly so maybe they don't notice the benefit um but i'm not sure so just trying to gauge like whether or not people use them um whether they should use them like ultimately it does come down to how serious you take your training as in if if your one rep max or three rep max or five rep max matters to you and maybe if every last 0.1 percent um of muscle gain matters to you the former is much clearer than the latter like how much of a difference is going to make to your hypertrophy outcomes i'm like i'm not sure 
to your strength outcomes, it probably matters. Um, so depending on how much you care on though, about those and depending on how much money you're willing to spend on something that isn't necessary for your training, that is how I would weigh up that decision. Because the, the thing is, a, a good belt is they're quite expensive as in if, if this is something you do and don't really take seriously if you're just casually going to the gym i don't think you need to spend 60 80 100 euros on an, on an expensive belt um but if you are in the game for a while you know you know you love lifting you'd love to get your deadlift up as heavy as it could possibly be and that you're like that is my goal then a belt is going to help you to reach that maximum potential but for most people that are just going to the gym, I just want to be healthy, want to be in kind of good shape. You know, I go with the lads. I'm like, yeah, I kind of stick to a program, but at the same time, like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not too worried. I'm happy to change my exercises. I, I'm not emotionally attached to any numbers. Like, I, it's it's not. It's definitely not necessary. So it's it's a choice more so than anything. I think. Yeah, I would totally agree. <clears throat> like training training the gym pop. If someone was like, yeah, I actually want to wear a belt. I like it. I feel whatever i feel it improves my performance yeah maybe even if there is a placebo effect like i feel a little bit safer doing these things or whatever i'm like cool in my mind i don't see a huge issue You're like yeah you maybe want to educate them and say like like this isn't probably going to decrease your injury risk or anything but if they feel safer and they're like yeah it's cool i don't mind too much with someone using the belt then you know um again like you said like i wouldn't i wouldn't make someone go out and buy a belt but if they were like, oh, I got a belt for free as a present from my fucking granny who knows I like lifting or whatever, you know, like, cool, use it if you want. Don't use it if you don't want. This kind of goes as well, like the overall design of your program. Like if your program is basically like machine based, you know, it's it's probably going to do fuck all for you. Whereas if you are more so in the the realm of like, oh, yeah, I like these big quote unquote compound exercises I really like pushing my strength development and whatever maybe it's going to help you maybe it's going to help you achieve both your muscle building goals and your your strength goals cool like you might have to have a bit of a learning curve like we were saying earlier on and it's going to take a few weeks for you to really get used to using it and to actually be able to use it but yeah I'm in in the camp of use it if you want don't use it if you don't want it's in my mind it's not going to be the make or break of the program yep i'll vote that life now we actually have two more examples but the first one well we have to discuss something in between one of the examples but the next one then is you are an athlete and what i mean by this is you engage in sports outside of the gym <gasps> big shock horror i know um right. you're, you're using the gym as a, a supplementary activity to either increase your performance increase your you know physique as a whole or just as a an adjacent health builder you know maybe even injury prevention we'll put under that as well you know so you're going to the gym as a supplement to your your sporting activity you know and i'm not even going to classify a sporting activity because it, i don't think it matters hugely because you could be a field sport athlete you could be a you know, fight sport athlete, I mean like Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, MMA, boxing, whatever fuck. And um, you could be a fucking, I don't know, chess athlete, whatever the fuck. You know, there whatever sport you engage in, you it, it doesn't really matter. You're an athlete. Right? So very few sports demand that you wear a belt while competing. Right? Not many. Maybe like uh some of the like car sports, you know? I think it's where about then. Maybe. Um, 
But yeah, most sports, strongman being a bit of a, a difference, um, some other sports we'll get into some in a second. Um, but what are your thoughts on that? Because there is obviously a, a thought process where, you know, you should train as you compete, you know, like, uh, what's his name? Fucking Musashi, uh, said like, you know, let your everyday stance be your fighting stance, you know, and that stuck with people, you know? So like, if I'm a, we, we do BJJ, so we don't use belts in BJJ. Like we don't use a, you know, a big fucking lever belt. I'm not clicking that on into place while I'm about to go fucking roll. Like, so should I train the same as I compete? What are your thoughts, Gary? So you mean you don't tie your like BJJ belts so tight that like you, you brace against it every time you move, no? You don't? No, that would actually be stupid, Gary. You like, I, I take that <laughs> off mid-match and... Um, Mrs. Trunchbull, actually. Do you know Mrs. Trunchbull? I do, of course, yes. Matilda, she used to wear a belt all the time, even when she was beating up kids and throwing them by the hair. So, I mean, like, if, if that's what you're about, you know, you're a school principal, you like to grab kids by their pigtails and throw them over the fence, I mean, that might be a useful application. Um, other than that, there are very few sports, as you said, where there's this, uh, where you just wear a belt and, and, and it's there to to help you um, legally. But like the, the, the typical argument that people have is that, you know, if you train with a belt, then you're not going to be able to effectively translate that strength over into sport. And like, I think that that makes sense. Like when you're just like, oh yeah, cool, good idea. But at the same time, it doesn't really make sense. As in like the purpose of, of strength and conditioning training for sport is not necessarily to replicate the sport. It is to build I feel like we had this exact conversation last week, didn't we? Yeah, we did. It's to build the fitness characteristics that could potentially help you in your sport. So for example, if you are squatting, your goal is probably primarily to build lower body strength. So you're saying to yourself, I want to build quads and glutes and adductors and hamstrings, not so much hamstrings, that can produce high amounts of force. A belt could be a valid part of that training process. It's not going to take away from your ability to develop that lower body strength. So I don't think it's a problem to do that um, and then to try and translate that over into your sport because you're building the basic fitness characteristics and you're saying, okay, that's tucked away. My strength is taken care of. Boom, done. Um, similarly, like if someone was doing endurance training, but like if they normally play in in studs, like they, they wear football boots, but they do all their endurance training in like ASICs, is that going to stop them from using their new increased VO2 max when they're on the pitch? Like, no, of course it's not. Like it mightn't be perfectly specific, but it doesn't necessarily need to be in order to translate over to sport. So, um, you know, if, if, you're, if you're playing rugby and you're in a scrum, I would find it hard to argue that because you've only trained in a, in a belt before, that your lower body strength is now not going to carry over to your ability to, to push and produce force in a scrum. So um, I think a belt can still be used as part of the training process, even if you are doing um, a sport that doesn't allow it. Um, I'm not sure, like, if, there, if, there's, if there's any sport you can think of where you're actually doing a deadlift task or squat task that is the, it's very similar and you're not wearing a belt, then fair enough. That might be a case for saying, all right, belt training might be more of a priority, but I can't think of any off the top of my head. Well, I actually have two, but anyway, uh, that's the next <laughs> question. Um, but I, I'm 100% behind you um, on this because I think 
the issue comes back to something that we've already discussed. People have a huge discrepancy between their belted and their non-belted, you know? And that, in my mind, would be a potential issue. Like if you are noticing that you built up your strength, your lower body strength in your squat or fucking even built up your deadlift or whatever with a belt and you take off the belt and all of a sudden you notice there's this huge decrease in performance. I'm like that in my mind, I'm like, that's not training specifically for how you're going to compete. Like we want general adaptations. Yes. But if you're effectively using something to give you extra adaptations, but then those adaptations don't translate into increases in the environment we want to see, then it's useless in my eyes, you know? And that goes for everything you do in the gym, outside of even this belted discussion. <coughs> like if you're spending whatever, two, three training sessions per week, strengthening your lower body, and you see no increase from it in your sport, then like, what's the point of doing that? You know, like if your goal is to increase your sport from your resistance training and you're not seeing any decreased injury risk, you're not seeing any performance increase. I'm like, well, your training program needs to reflect your actual goals. So just because some guy in fucking on the internet was like, oh, you should do strong lifts five by five, three times per week, squat every single training session, and it's not increasing your performance, then something needs to change, you know? So if you are resistance training, you wear a belt and you're not actually translating that into a non-belted environment, then potentially there's an issue there, you know? So you still have to discuss the transferability of your belted training, you know? So I can definitely get behind the argument of training beltless to increase your sport performance because it's more specific to the task or likely more specific to the task, you know? So that 100%, I can get behind, but I'm also not so dogmatic in that that if someone was coming to me and they were like i wear a belt i noticed that there's you know again like we'll say a 10 percent. this is an arbitrary number out of my fucking ass but uh, i see a 10 percent decrease in performance when i don't have a belt on and <clears throat> i'm able to slowly but surely continue to get stronger over time with the belt and still only see that 10 percent decrease then i see no issue because the transferability of belted training to non-belted training and hopefully then your sports performance is still there. It's still relevant. You know, in my mind, it only becomes an issue if you don't see that transferability, you know, like you're able to squat a hundred kilos without a belt and you're able to get your damn belted max up to 150 kilos. And then you take off the belt and you're still only able to see, or still only able to squat hundred kilos then in my mind, I'm like, that's, that's not transferable to your sport or likely not transferable to your sport, you know, because you're not seeing an increase in the, the general physical preparedness of those bracing muscles, those trunk muscles that you want to see from doing that activity, you know? So I'm, I'm not against using a belt if you want to increase your sports specific performance, even if your, your sport doesn't allow you have a belt. Um, however, it does have to be transferable. So if you are increasing your, your strength while wearing a belt, ensure that it is also increasing your strength while not wearing the belt. I think that's, that's kind of common sense. I think that's fair. Right. Now, the next one goes on to these sports that do allow you to wear a belt. Um, 
well, outside of powerlifting um, and also get into these movements. So there are obviously different types of belts. You know, there's thicker belts, there's fucking 13 millimeter, 10 millimeter, there's lever belts, there's fucking whatever those things are called, prong belts. There's, there's all different kinds of belts. There's like Velcro belts, etc. right? Now, there are two sports that involve Olympic weightlifting, right? And Olympic weightlifters, I do believe, are allowed wear belts in competition. However, they don't wear like a, a 13 millimeter or even a 10 millimeter belt in most cases because they're too thick and they potentially get in the way of that deep squat and uh, you know deep squat position, which we've talked about before. Um, with, with regard to Olympic lifting, like you want to catch that barbell as low as possible, you know. So if you are wearing a belt that then stops that even by a couple of millimeters, that's potentially a negative impact on your your training performance. You know, if you're not able to get into that deep deep position, you effectively have to relearn or learn a new technique to catch the bar. A little bit higher you know and um, so there's always the potential for that right and that is why you see olympic lifters generally wear you know kind of thinner belts sometimes the the velcro type belts i do believe it's legal i'm not a, an olympic lifting expert and um, but i do believe it's legal to wear you know belts in competition and um, and the same with crossfit you're allowed to wear belts you know and again they might wear a, a thinner one more of those kind of velcro-y type belts and um, because they're going to get into these deep, challenging type positions. You sometimes also see it in like strongman. They, they use different types of belts because they're going to be in a position that requires a little bit, we'll call better flexibility, better mobility. You know, they want to be able to actually get into deeper positions than say powerlifting, which is basically a half squat. You know, that's the, the deepest position you're likely to get into, you know? Um, so those two sports, in my mind, I'm like, if you're allowed, use the belt and it's specific to your competition, then by all means, use it, you know? And even if it's not relevant to that position, this is more kind of relevant towards the, the CrossFit. I shouldn't say not relevant to that position, not allowed in that competition. Like you might be doing, I don't know, fucking burpees. I don't know, fucking... Uh, wall balls you know you're squatting down and throwing the ball up onto the fucking wall you know whatever crossfit do you know they fucking they do everything um you may not be able to use a belt in that position but that doesn't mean or you might like not be allowed like you know but that doesn't mean that building up your strength with the belt for the events that you're allowed use it in and then also transferring that strength to the events that you're not allowed to use it in um, or that doesn't make sense to use it in, you know, you're traveling from different things. I don't know, you're fucking swimming then onto a salt bike. I don't know, CrossFit do fucking whatever, weird stuff, you know? Um, so maybe you're not allowed to use it for a certain thing or it doesn't make sense to use it for that. As long as, like we were saying with the other sports, as long as the transferability is there, like there's not this huge discrepancy, then I see no issue. And again, with the Olympic lifting example, if you're allowed to use your belt in competition, then fucking use every single last adaptation that you can get, every single last tool that you can use to increase your performance. Fucking go for it. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that, Gary? Yep, I'm about that life. You know, I mean, if if you're, as I said, if there's something that is legal in your sport and you have the option to use it and you know it improves your performance, then you should use it. You know, as you said, there might be some differences between 
the types of belts that might be appropriate for different individuals. I think that might even that might even change depending on like you know some people, for example, might have loads of ribs. <laughs> you could have a couple of extra ribs, and they're like quite close to your pelvis. And when you put on a belt, you find it really uncomfortable. Or maybe you store more or less body fat in a particular area that makes a particular belt um, more or less comfortable. So like maybe you want to play around with the type of belt that you use. A clear example of of like that is, as you said, in Olympic weightlifting, they use a thinner belt for a very specific reason, whereas in powerlifting, you're generally using a much thicker belt. So like you can play around with the different types of belts, like um, it's ultimately up to you to really give a shot. Um, but yeah, if you're training for strongman, you're training for um, weightlifting, you're training for powerlifting, these different strengths, you know, you can legally use a belt, then I would use the one that is going to enhance my performance the most um yeah that's pretty much as simple as it gets really fantastic anyway do you have anything else to add to this discussion then gary i don't think so like i suppose like it is while you know you can give a lot of talk to all this stuff a lot of it does come back to make your own decisions <laughs> you know you're, you're an adult use a belt if you want that's kind of where, where we end up because the the adaptations we're talking about, we're generally talking about relatively like minute differences, like in strength, yeah, it can make a difference, but none of these things are going to drastically increase or decrease injury risk, nor are they going to drastically increase or decrease the adaptations you get from a, a given training session. So if you take your training, training seriously, you want to use everything you can, then these can be good tools to have on board. But as we said, you don't want to get necessarily dependent on them. And you also don't want it to be the case that your performance difference between using a particular type of equipment and not using it is a very large discrepancy. And you want to close those gaps where possible, but recognize that a gap being there is still normal, especially if it's a useful tool. So, so yeah, they'd be my summary points. Yeah. My key takeaway from this would be that you shouldn't be dependent on it. And it definitely, well, I say definitely, it's probably not going to be helpful in the case of injury prevention you know like it's that's that's not necessarily what it's doing so if you think you're wearing a belt for that reason and you think you're decreasing your likelihood of injury you're probably not i would also take away from this that you know a belt is effectively helping you brace so if you don't know how to brace already without a belt i would probably learn that first before even considering a belt or if you've been using a belt I would go back and just make sure that you know how to brace effectively. Um, but yeah, main takeaway is those two points, really. Like, just learn how to brace, know how to brace. Maybe a belt will help you brace. And then don't become dependent on the belt. Don't be fearful as a result. And that's it. Yep. That's cool. it. Okay. Where can people find us? And where can they engage with our services? Or what services do we offer? Number one, subscribe to the newsletter, goes out every Sunday, gives you insight into all the things we've shared on social media and other resources that we've come across on the internet that we think might be helpful for you. Not just on the internet, also books, physical books. Believe it or not, people still read real books. Um, so that's an option too. Um, additionally, if you're, you know, you're already on the newsletter, you're like, ah, I want more. I want more. I want to talk to you people. You can join the Triage Method community. It's our Facebook group. That's where you can actually converse with myself Patrick and all the other members of the group about anything you want to talk about. You know, you got a question, you got an, an, an article maybe that you liked. You're like, hey guys, look, this is good. Think you might like it. What do you think? We might say, oh, that's really interesting. Or we might say, 
that's utter bollocks. You know, why did you share that? <laughs> Get, out. <laughs> no. Get out, out of the group. Um, but yeah, um, so yeah, that's definitely worth engaging with. Um, alternatively, just follow our social media. You know, you can follow the Facebook page. You can follow the Instagram page. You can follow our Twitter. You're going to find very similar stuff there. So I would just say join the newsletter, join the triage Net community, and you're going to have everything you need. Of course, subscribe to the podcast as well if you haven't, because I know some people do listen, but they're not necessarily subscribers. So if you subscribe, it helps us. Additionally, leave a review only if you like the podcast. If you don't like it, don't want to hear about it. No, I'm only kidding. Any constructive feedback is also welcome. Um, and other than that, of course, we do have different services you can engage with. The one-to-one online coaching where you work with either myself or Patty um, one-on-one um, to basically build a program and a nutrition approach and a lifestyle approach that's going to help you reach your goals and stay with those goals for the long term. We do have spaces available so you can get engaged with that. If you'd rather a more hands-off approach, you're like, ah, oh, I don't know. The price tag's a bit heavy. Don't need that much support. The group coaching is a good option. Program changes every month. You can modify the program further with our guidance. Um, if you need to change around a couple of things, you'll also get guidance on nutrition and you can engage with us and have us review your training clips and give you different tips on how to keep on progressing, etc. That's the group coaching, male and female options available. Um, and then, of course, you can check out the store where we have three, four, five, and six day training templates and also a more comprehensive ebook which is the beginner's guidebook. Don't be fooled by the title beginners. It's useful for a lot of people. To be honest, anyone who is not a coach themselves or a coach in their early career, I think you could benefit from reading that ebook um, because it covers all the basic principles that you should be aware of when it comes to training and nutrition and gives you enough of the sciencey stuff to know where you're going, but is also very practical in terms of like, why does this matter for programming? What does this tell you for nutrition? What foods does like when you say protein what do you mean like what are protein based foods you know uh, those types of things so that is everything i believe you are correct gary and follow the real patty farrell on instagram because he's back on instagram but i'm i'm still i'm still not just for the moment that's very true i'm trying to put out like a a tip uh or trick every single day um just gonna help people like just whatever i'm thinking be discussing stuff with clients individuals whatever or in the gym or whatever so basically just trying to put out a single tip every single day on fucking whatever probably should up my actual photo game in terms of the pictures that i take but i don't really care that much it takes me like five ten minutes to write something out and provide value and people seem to enjoy it you know i get like a hundred likes on my (laughs) photos uh pretty much every time so I'm happy with that. Uh, if that helps 100 people every single day, fucking that's cool, you know. Um, yeah, I have nothing else to add. Um, yeah, it's too easy. It's too easy. <laughs>